Welcome back to season three of my podcast. I am Amanda Blackwood, the survivor. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. For those of you who didn't know, now you do. Keeping in line with that, this entire season is going to be focused on interviewing other trauma survivors who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. Get ready to hear from some truly incredible people. Please hang on for a moment through this brief advertisement. This is what currently pays for the show. Of course, I will also take donations through PayPal to keep the show running, or you can show support by a simple book purchase. I have quite a few out there. Just look for books by Amanda Blackwood on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Your purchase does go to helping to support local organizations that help fight human trafficking also. Good afternoon. Is this Sophia? Yeah. Hi. Hi. It is lovely to hear your voice and to finally get to know you a little bit in person. <laughs> I'm yeah, excited. Absolutely. Me so, too. I cannot for the life of me see you. Where are you? Oh, um, I think that was something that I failed to um, send you a message on. I'm so sorry. Um, I have to do this on vi- on uh, audio only because the video That's screwed a- up. <laughs> That's fine. That's totally fine. I'm remote anyway, so um, there's a good chance that mine will freeze up. That's great. Excellent. Let's do oh, this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I started having some major issues a couple weeks ago, and it's like, ah, oh, crud! Right before season three starts, are you kidding me? So yeah, yeah. Uh, just last minute changes oh, here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Adaptability. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right, so I am going to do a quick intro for you, and then from there, I'm just going to jump right in. At the end of my little intro, though, I did find some really cool stuff on your Amazon profile, so I'm going to read a little bit of that, too. Not not very much, just a little bit. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Okay. All right, guys. Today, my guest is Sophia Aves. She's a USA Today best-selling romance author. Honestly, I am so excited about this one. You'd never know it, but she's also a domestic violence survivor and has PTSD as a result. On top of that, she's also a wife to a veteran with PTSD, and their different forms of PTSD are the main focus of some of her books. So this remarkable woman escaped from a violent ex who later became a truly terrifying stalker, but she refused to live her life in fear. And I'm so proud to have her on the show. Um, I did find something on her on Amazon. If you look her up, she's it's pretty easy to find her. She's got a gorgeous website, by the way. Uh, but straight from her Amazon profile, it says, US Today, USA Today best-selling author Sophia Aves writes fast-paced police romances, sizzling military units, steamy cowboys with a Montana backdrop, and the occasional cheeky god. And towards the end of that same paragraph, it says she has over 80 publications across three not so super secret pen names holy cow this is incredible (laughs) welcome to the show sophia i'm so happy to have you with me (laughs) hello thank you cheers (laughs) now i've got to live up to that you know that you've set a bar i have to i have to actually live up to this oh you've already lived up to it it's all over the internet (laughs) (laughs) now that's just terrifying let's be honest here (laughs) 
So let's talk about some of the lighthearted stuff beforehand. Um, where did you grow up and what was your family life like when you were a kid? Um, I grew up in New South Wales in Newcastle, just above Sydney. And I grew up with my mother and my grandmother. So we weren't the typical nuclear 1980s, you know, 2.6 kids. It was just uh, three of us all together, 32. And let's be honest, we were a pack of bitches because as I went through puberty, my mother went through menopause and my grandmother went like, there were months where we barely spoke to each other. It was brilliant between hot flushes and mood swings and forgetfulness. It was <laughs> And let's go with this. My grandmother finally passed away last year, um, horribly, <laughs> at 99, the day before she turned 100. Oh, um, <laughs> oh my gosh. One day short of getting her letter from the Queen. Come on, she'd been hanging out for that for 30 years. So, oh. yeah, totally very, very different upbringing. Um, and now we live up in Queensland, just west of, an hour west of Brisbane. Um, we're on 40 acres and which we only got on the land finally built the house a year ago and uh, we're trying to get some alpacas and goats on at the moment so it's a bit of fun wow that sounds like quite the adventure man you write adventure and you live adventure I love this Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so can you describe the forms of trauma that you've had to overcome I know you went through quite a lot um, with that particular relationship and I read some of it but wow Wow. I'd re- I'd love to hear it from your own words, what it is that you had to overcome. I think some of these things are, I'm, I'm glad it was a long time ago. This, this happened 20 years ago to me. So I'm, I'm glad because time does help things. Um, and that's an important part of everything. I was with a guy as a teenager um, and didn't realise for the first few years, so I was with him for five years, for the first few years that it went from being sweet to very toxic because as a teenager you don't know that. I look back and to be quite honest, senior in high school, I'm sort of glad I had a boyfriend because it stopped me being the, um, trying to, you know, grab a boyfriend anywhere because, you know, teens get desperate and we all think that the world is going to end and it, it, it's horrible. That provided some stability, but that stability um, decayed over time. And there were a few physical moments um, where I was dragged down the hall and things like that by my throat. Um, but mostly it was the ongoing mental aspect that really sort of broke me. The And as, as a teenager, you just don't know any better. And I, honestly, at any stage of your life, you might not know better. Being told that nobody else would love you, you're too ugly, nobody else will take you with enough repetition you believe it um and it continued well after it all finally broke up when I found out he had another girlfriend so that sort of blew up for me because look I'm I'm not into that that's and if you wanted to I you know what we could have probably talked that one through but not behind the back so it was toxic he yelled I yelled it it blew up into something horrible um to be after I finally managed to break away with the help of a couple of very short um, teenage relationships, you know, about a month long each, that extra support rebolstered self-belief um, and gave me the option to actually turn off my phone back when phones were a little brick in your hand and this was like pre-Nokia days. Um, <laughs> and you... I. 
And when I made that choice to walk away, the stalking started because I no longer relied on him and was independent once again for the first time in five or six years. Um, So the stalking started. It started with a couple of phone calls um, and then it was some more phone calls and then it was text messages um, and I, it, it was about him trying to get bring me back to him, saying he'd had death threatens, all this sort of other BS. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it went on and on until it was sort of 10 phone calls a day, 20 phone calls a day, 40 phone calls in an hour every hour. Um, eventually my mother got sick of it. I just moved out of home um, as a... 17, 18-year-old, and uh, started uni where I was studying archaeology with the most wonderful um, professor in the world. He, he passed away in my second year, and that was a whole new culture shock for me, but he was one of the, um, I think when he passed away, he was about 89, and he, he Godfrey Tanner, and he knew was in the top 10 list of the people who knew the most people in the world. And it sort of all came to the head as I was, I was st- starting to study at uni. Um, and I'd moved into an apartment, top floor of a building, with a very good friend that I worked with, um, gay mate, and he was just wonderful, fabulous housemate, wonderful support. And they all went away for the weekend. And I remember, and I actually put this in this incident into one of my books. I just, I got, it was a key. Wow. I had to put the key in the um, elevator to get up there. There was nobody else that could get up to the floor, top floor. And I got messages saying, I can see your lights on. And I was the only one home. Oh. And it only went to the very black and dingy and terrifying garage underneath the building. So I turned off the lights. Another message. Your lights are back on. Lights are off. Your lights are on. There was a nightclub across the road that I knew quite well because, you know, a teenager and really loved going clubbing and things like that. Um, and, uh, and I sat there in abject fear and ended up having a couple of shots of alcohol, which was probably a stupid idea, locking the door and sat there in the kitchen looking down the hall at the door, wondering how I was supposed to get out or not. And that that stuck with me for a very, very long time. It was absolutely terrifying. I couldn't go up because there was no up. I could only go down to the garage. And that was, it, it was just the worst of all options. Seriously, fire hazard all over the place, terrifying. Uh, and wow. uh, and I, my mother uh, took everything into her own hands and called the police. It had not occurred to me to call the police over a couple of text messages. It just didn't, it just wasn't in in me to do. She called them. Um, we went up and met some fabulous, a pair of fabulous coppers who um, I'm sure were one of the reasons that I kept my love of police procedurals over the years. One guy was huge and big and round like a giant teddy bear and the sweetest thing on the planet. The other guy looked like Dolph Lundgren from the 80s and, you know, <laughs> like Arnie you know, look, and they were just, they were just fantastic. Um, they took the statements, they went through it all. Mum sat next to me. She had no idea the relationship had been abusive. So I found it very hard to say anything in front of her, but I think they took what I wasn't saying and ran with it. So there's, yeah. That's why I believe in the cops are not at the moment. Um, and eventually they, one of the, the Dolph Lundgren guy gave me a call and said, look, he's got a gun licence, he's got a dog, security dog, you need to um, you, you need to be prepared. He said there is a profile on these guys. What we'll do is we're going to go around and scare him, and, uh, and they did, and it, it all stopped. 
after that. Oh my gosh. They offered, they tried to um, talk to him and he refused, so they took him in for the night. Um, and he said, you're going to have to be prepared. He said, there's a profile on these guys. In 10 years, he will come back. This is what the profile says he will do. In 10 years, he will come back and whatever family at that time that you have, you're going to have to be prepared to protect them. And I went, oh my gosh. well, hell, this is terrifying. This is twice as bad. <laughs> yeah. But it stopped. Wow. And it was fine. Last seven, seven years. I had a job back in the jewellery company that I wanted to work for. I had met my husband um, who we had just bought our first house together. Um, we weren't engaged yet, but we'd, we'd been together for two and a half years and we knew we'd, he, he'd been in the military the entire time um, and he had just left for Afghanistan literally three weeks before. And back then we had no phones, we had no emails we could send each other. We got a weekly phone call and it was 10 minutes at best. That's all we had. Oh. Um, I stopped watching the news and every time the shop phone rang, I was sure it was going to be his boss telling me that well, I'd lost him. Yeah. So I was already on edge and I had a wonderful support group at work and I had a fabulous uh, customer. Jewellery customers are like readers. They they really, you can, they grab hold of you and they, they want to come back to see you weekly or monthly to buy presents for their loved ones. They're just like a, a super fan reader who reads every book. Same sort of person. Same sort of relationship. Wow. Had a lovely who was divorced. He was uh, he was actually on the um, the team foot uh, looking for pedophiles and and protecting children from pedophiles. Boston wow. had two lovely young girls. He came in. He he just bought some little silver jewelry with enamel and things like that on them that they thought were pretty, and that's how he spoiled them. Had another couple of biddies as well who loved me, and one of them brought in the local newspaper and said, "You need to." have a look at this, and in the paper online and on Gumtree at the time was a message saying, I'm looking for my name, we'll pay for information on her where And it was like something out of a stupid 70s or 80s movie and I sort of stared at it and I'm like, this is a joke. It took a good day for it to sink in and bless Gumtree, they took Paper took it off, off as well, and I told I saved all the links and I told my um, pet cop who came in with his daughters. He took all the information. He said, "Don't worry about it. You're never going to hear from him again." And I haven't. I have no idea what happened after that. Oh my god! Having that support around, I have no idea what happened. Wow. I can guess, <laughs> but <laughs> having that support around was a huge benefit, especially with hubs not being there even though he wasn't hubs at the time he came home and two days after he came home from afghanistan he took me up to um up to the mountains where we love to go camping and he proposed two Aww. days after he came wow. home yep he knew, he he knew when <laughs> no. and he bought the, he got my best friend that i worked with in the shop who was also one of my bridesmaids to organize the ring for him while he was away so <laughs> There's ups and downs, but it, it seems to come around, um, fortunately. And yeah, there's a lot. Um, and I, I've, I've unpacked that over the years, and I think that's the first time I've actually told that story in probably a decade. Wow. Well, I'm honoured that you would want to share it with us. Thank you. That's, uh, that is quite the story. Holy cow. So, and I know you have, you've got PTSD from all of this. How does that PTSD manifest in you now? Is it like moments where you're 
terrified somebody's going to be at the bottom of an elevator or if somebody touches you around the throat, you have a bad reaction because you remember being uh, grabbed and dragged by him? Yeah, for a long time I did suffocate at the thought of touches around my throat, but I think because Hubs and I have been together for almost 20 years now, um, that's greatly reduced because he's the only one that contacts me, apart from my kids who like to yank on your hair and, you know, cough in your face <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. COVID. It's exciting. Um, but, no, honestly, I, feel I, I don't like anyone standing behind me. Um, if the kids, our, our lounge is it, we've... Um, the lounge sort of sits in the middle opposite the TV and it's an old lounge because we've just built a house so we are flat broke. Um, and I sit there and I write 90% of my waking hours um, and the kids will go behind me to get the water bottles off the bench and drink and I still will call out, please step away from behind me, hop on the other side because I can't wow. deal with anyone standing behind me. I much prefer to follow somebody else. Um, if somebody's walking behind me and I'm not comfortable, which is almost all the time, I'll just step aside, let them go first and walk behind them. I just, I can't deal with it. In a crowd is fine. An individual is not. It, for some reason, that's much more um, dangerous and intimate to me. So I, I, I don't even like my husband walking behind me. Um, I have a huge thing about locking all the doors at night, um, even though we're so rural. Look, it honestly wouldn't matter. Um, if somebody wants to break into a place, I, I recognise that they will just break in now. Um, I lock everything, ridiculous amounts of and we'll go through the whole house. Um, if I hear something, I've got, I've got big dogs, um, which are sort of my backup as well because I can't see anything. I'm, I'm ridiculously blind. So once they're <laughs> off at night, and yeah, the whole world's just this black glow. So <laughs> well, I have a lot of those same reactions too. I don't know why that mm -hmm. is, but I'm the exact same way. If it's one-on-one -on -one and there's somebody behind me, I'm going to move. I'll put my back to a wall. I'm going to move yes. away from that situation. But if it's a crowd, it's, yes. it doesn't bother me. I guess it's because in the back of my mind, I say at least I'll have witnesses. Yeah. And I think the crowd is impersonal. They're, they're not yeah. there for you, but individual can be and that's terrifying and look if I see a white van that's on the same road as me that's not the local um postal van I still freak out because that's what he drove oh wow. so I still freak out. yeah yeah wow yeah I'm lucky my predators in another country most of the time um, that must be a relief. Does come, yeah. <laughs> it is a little bit of a relief yeah but I don't ever know yeah. what he's going to show up and if he ever does show up um, oh gosh isn't that uncertainty the thing that sort of makes you just feel sick every time it does but at the same time uh I think he's scared of me these days because he knows that mm -hmm. I can actually do damage to him um I don't yep. back down and I refuse to be silent about what he did to me and I think that scares yep. the heck out of that man he's Yep. He's a police officer. And I know there's so many um, good police officers out there, but the man who trafficked me was a police officer in Scotland. Gosh. So, yeah. As, and there's lots of ups oh. and downs, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm so sorry. Your experience was like that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> for you. Wait, you know, I never will be. I tell this to people all the time. Less than 2% of all victims of human trafficking are reported as actually surviving. If that's the wow. case, then if it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else and they probably would not have survived. I would much rather mm -hmm. it be me any day of the week because I'm still here and I have no issues with telling my story. Very, very, very brave woman. 
Either that or stupid. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, we can always rise. <laughs> we can always rise. <laughs> so what was the biggest catalyst to helping you heal from all of this? And what have you done to help yourself to move past it? Um, I don't know. I there were conscious choices. Uh, I'd always, the reason that I found him was that I always just wanted that one best friend to go through life with. That was, that was it. Ever since I was 12 or 14, that's all I wanted. And I was already reading, you know, mum's romance books on the sly after I finished the Sweet Valley High ones and things like that. Um, <laughs> and I just wanted one good mate to go through life with. And I think I spent between the ages of 21 and 24 until I found hubs, um, looking for that person and knowing sort of straight away when I hadn't found them. There was one that had potential, but we clashed on a moral level over a couple of things. Um, lovely bloke, but just not the right one for me. Um, mm. And I think finding hubs has probably been the biggest backup for me because I had that support crew that I needed emotionally to be able to be me and be independent, but also to come back to them when I crashed and burned, have a really strong cuddle and go, no, it's okay, I am actually safe now. You know, this is somebody who will never hurt me, who's enough to pacifist um, and just getting angry upsets him, <laughs> you know. So it's the total opposite. Um, we wow. very, very rarely fight. We went through a black patch. Um, I had PN, uh, postnatal depression after my after my first and it lasted quite a long time um, and it clashed with a rise in him um, with his PTSD and we clashed for a couple of months and it was absolutely awful. Um, that was the only bad period I think we've ever had actually wow. and, and that, that, that support because he's just my best mate so it, it means everything to me that is amazing I'm so glad you have that and what a cool guy he is very you know, much yeah it's hard to find that in life I know I finally found that uh last year we actually our wedding yeah. was January of this year but it took a long time to find that I'm in my 40s I was ready to find this when I was in my late teens <laughs> yeah. I'm like you. I kept yep. on looking for it. Wasn't going to give up. Yep. <laughs> so glad you found him, though. That's the one. <laughs> He's pretty awesome. Uh, sometimes he <laughs> listens to my podcast, but I'm not saying this because of that. <laughs> <laughs> no state secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you celebrate your little wins in life when you accomplish something that you're proud of? Um, okay, weirdly, I sort of don't. I think I just get on with the next job. I, I just I just move to the next thing. I go, yeah, like today, I actually have a book launch today. Um, oh. I messaged, so I'm like, yay, Pride releases today. Um, and we go, woohoo. He's like, oh, good, another one. Um, and off we go. <laughs> we just keep going. I'm like, I've got my email list. I thought of 16 things that I need to do today. I'm having my daughter's first sleepover this afternoon. Um, so I want to clean the house a little bit better because I feel like I have to. Um, and I just do the list each day. That's it. I do the same thing. What is this with us? Why can't we just take a moment to breathe and relax? It's, nope. That's, what's next? Keep going. <laughs> so 26 range gearbox and we're already on gear 25. <laughs> right. <laughs> so who inspires you the most? Um, 
I'd probably say the girl that actually I'm co-hosting the Shared World that today's book release is in, um, Terry Walls-Brown is a girlfriend in California and we're looking at starting our own podcast later this year. She's um, she's had a bit of health issues. We've had COVID in the house, so we meant to do all this back in April, but it's just gone backwards. Um, she is an amazingly strong woman, um, values family uh, over everything, but still manages to do all the things. That by, when I say I mean all the things, I mean she is on boards, she's got radio shows, she's got all her books coming out, she's got the family business that she, well, she has other websites and the shared worlds and it just goes on and on and on and on. She, she is in everything and she approaches everything professionally and calmly and those things are probably the things I value the most. Um, famously, I probably love the marketing of um, Megan Quinn um, for her books and I have been a Matthew Riley fan since I was 20 years old and actually got to see him um, like, uh, in person uh, a couple of years ago when he came to my local town. He actually won't take a fee um, to speak um, and he's just incredible. So I'm going to desperately try and get him for Romance Writers of Australia one year um, for the conference because I think he would be a fabulous um speaker and somebody that can really I mean he's entertaining when he speaks he's very very entertaining but um he's not arrogant about anything um he's just another geek that loves writing and making films and making books and just being awesome and they're things that I think would share with the membership incredibly wow that is really cool it won't take a fee for speaking that's not something you hear very often very no yeah no so if you were to talk to somebody who was going through what you went through in your own past, what would you tell mm -hmm. them? Go to the police early and walk away. You can't fix them. You can't help them. Set yourself free and go find somebody who's worthy of your time. Yes. Oh, that was beautiful. So <clears throat> I'm towards the bottom of my questions, but with your uh, <laughs> own post, with your own uh, answers and your own history, uh, you kind of made me want to go through some of this stuff a second time to ask, is it okay if I ask questions about your husband's PTSD and how that affects your life? Okay. Yeah, um, so I know he, he was over in Afghanistan. I'm sure he probably saw some, some uh, action. Um, how, how was he, was he changed at all when he got back? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, when, when they come back, um, it's called reintegration and basically it sucks. There's a lot of the guy, anybody who goes over comes back differently. I've met one person who says that they, their family says they haven't changed, but I think he's just uh, incredibly good at hiding what's inside. When they're over there, they, the, he was over in 2007, I think. Um, and they, until um, about seven or eight at night, had dinner, went to the gym for a few hours because it was one of the few actual outlets that they had. Um, and then they get up at three or four in the morning again to do gate duty or whatever they were on for that day. And when they come back to Australia or America or wherever they come back to, normal life is slow. It's too slow for them um, to deal with. And it's and they they have this drive to keep going. So but for the first couple of days that he came back, of course, family wanted to see him. I wanted to see him. Everybody sort of jumped on him and you could see him physically shaking um, and trying to get away from situations. But because he's a good guy, he stood there and did what other people wanted. And I was so when when he said, let's go camping the second day that we were 
he was home, I was like, yes, let's go camping. This is a great idea. Let's get away from everything and just let you find a new normal, um, which unfortunately didn't happen, but it was close enough to beautiful and we had five days away and it was fantastic and we sort of didn't tell anyone for two weeks because it wasn't the right thing to do for him it was too much so we we did engagement parties post engagement and all that sort of stuff it was all very much pushed out we moved up to Queensland in the January after he came back in I think the October he came back late October and we went up to uh, came up to Queensland his new boss within two weeks of uh, joining his new unit said to him, you need to take a break and off work for three months. Um, in that time, we got out of the uh, RAF accommodation we were in and we bought our own house because it, we were right under the flight path. It wasn't in a great area. We had people trying to break into the house. It just wasn't a great situation. So we bought our own house. And he would work in the garden until six or seven at night. And I didn't often get home till seven at night um, after work. And I'd find him working in the dark and he'd because he had this compulsion to keep working and not be able to stop. Um, after I got him out of the garden, he'd disappear into the shed at night. And I was, because I was exhausted after work, I'd either read a book or watch a movie or go to sleep. And it took me months to realise what was happening, that he was just transferring this compulsion to keep going um, over to working in the shed instead. Um, we spent two years planning our um, our wedding he was overseas again shortly before, I think he came home three days before the wedding. Um, he'd been in America for a couple of months. And it was, I, we actually had a joke that we were going to get married by proxy on phone. And I said, no, I, I, I'm pretty easy going, but that's not how we're going to get married. <laughs> um, that's not going to work out for me. Um, he'd get stressed. He'd be sharp. Um, we've We've had horror stories from other people of what's happened in their homes, but we managed to work most of it through and I did call it after I spoke to his boss and said we need to try and get some sort of therapy going. Neither of us having ever been to therapy before, we had no idea what the process was. Um, we went through Veterans Affairs in Australia and they gave us, uh, I think we went to five different therapists over the period of six years and we found that that we got some great advice from one girl and the other four were detrimental to our health. Oof. The first one gave permission to to stop and not answer questions. So if I'm if I was trying to work through and go, okay, is he having a rush back into this? Is he sort of dropping into um, a space I can't reach him? I'd start talking. She gave him permission to not answer me, um, which would last for hours. So it would be a silence of hours where he just physically wasn't present with me and was just frozen. Um. Another oh. one told me that he would get through it eventually and that I just had to wait it out and get over it. Oh, my gosh. There were a couple more. The one that was fabulous was an ex-nurse who had been deployed in the Middle East and she um, spoke to him individually and was fantastic and uh, and she was absolutely amazing and she lasted about three months before she left um, to do another deployment, so we lost her permanently. Um, so that that was a bit of a... And after we got to the last one who told us to get over it, we both decided that it wasn't worthwhile doing um, anymore and we would research it ourselves at home, both being intelligent people, reasonably intelligent, and we would work it through together and that's what we did. And we fought through it 
together and supported each other and did everything. We put safe words in place um, that we changed over every couple of months so that they would not get overused or underused. Um, we put processes in place to make sure if one of us back up and survive and, and help us um, help the other person get back up. Um, and it worked until the week we had our first child seven years later and uh, and he said, I'm going to go back overseas the week she was born. And he had a massive oh. crash. I had three surgeries to get through that birth. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he had a massive crash and we had to sit there and talk it out and we lasted about six months until she was about six months old before I actually ended up yelling at him horribly um, and saying that we needed to fix something. What I didn't realise was that I had PND um, and I wasn't coping either. Uh, we, our daughter was reef and we ended up doing 45-minute turnarounds each sleeping each sleeping and passing baby over because she couldn't be put down. She wouldn't go to sleep. And being first-time parents, there was all the don't let us sleep with you, don't, don't do this, don't do that. Mm-hmm. The people we expected it and it hit us both very hard and that was our blackest period and it lasted for me until the birth of my third child at the birth of my second child at two weeks from his birth I couldn't remember what we called him for three days and it was absolutely horrifying I had to look up his name every time I wanted to speak to him even though he was a baby um and Tony and I went through a big crash and burn over that period um and by the time that we had our third who was not she she ended up being planned but she wasn't on the plan, um, the life plan sort of thing. Um, she it just, my ovaries went into overdrive. I'm like, I want another baby. So give me a baby. Um, so, <laughs> and we called her our heart baby because she basically um, is the point where everything went back to normal for us. Wow. She's four now. Oh, wow. How old are the other two? Uh, eight, six, and eight, six, and <laughs> birthdays that are reversed um so one is you know the same date and the same month but they're reversed the girls and I'm like and the girls look almost identical. honestly we're gonna have the biggest trouble when the little one steals her older sister's ID and goes clubbing on her own I can see this being a huge <laughs> huge thing but I think we worked out we're gonna have like a a 20th and 18th and a, a 21st and 18th and a 16th in the same year I'm like it's going to be cheaper to go to Europe than hold those parties Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Everybody load up, we're leaving. <laughs> yep. Hi. <laughs> wow. So I know you've touched a couple of times on some of the books that you've written, but what are the names of some of your books and how they relate to your experiences or your husband's experiences? Yeah. So Shortbread Shakedown is um, um that's published through the Wild Rose Press. It's probably a two-hour read, and it's it it's all about reintegration. Um, and when I, when I first wrote the query letter for Wild Rose Press, I had reintegration sucks, and somebody said you can't write that; it's a professional letter. I'm like, yeah, but it does, you know. So <laughs> it's all about the guy who finds his support system and support family. Um, I, I've got a couple of personal touches in there too. He meets an old fellow with the picture over the um, over the bar in the officers' mess. Um, and he uh, then he then goes and meets that guy, and it's her grandfather, and they talk um, about what war meant to both of them, and how it's changed and how it hasn't over the last forty years. Um, and sweaters, and 
the grandmother who is uh, who's based on my grandmother because she passed the week that I wrote it. Um, mm. She uh, she always stuffed husband with um, with finger buns at Christmas time. So I have that she did during that too. So he has an episode in the middle of their lounge room um, holding a child. He has episodes where he can't move in crowds. Um, he has episodes in his own office where he tries to find something that he left behind and curses himself because things have moved around in the office that he hasn't been in for two years while he's been away. So those, they're all things that um, that I've taken inspiration for things that have happened with us at home as well. Um, Blue-Blooded Brothers was my first uh, book series, is a Australian police procedural um, and very steamy romance, just as a heads up, um, series, all based around PTSD. I had no idea when I wrote it that that's what I was doing and I was into oh. book three before I realised what I'd actually done. Oh, including bits. I went, this is conflict. This is what conflict feels like to me, so this is how I write it, <laughs> you know, so this was this was how, how it worked. Um you know, a, 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 suffers, um, um, she sees a friend, a co-worker be murdered in front of her um, on the page and she feels that five years later she when she shuts the door and somebody tries to deliver mail to her and she's shaking as she's taking the mail, trying to get the door shut and breaks down as he walks away because opening the door to a stranger was just terrifying when she feels like there's a stalker that's constantly watching her and she's not safe in her own home and eventually she isn't. Um, and it, they're, they're all things that the line about um, I can see your lights going on and off, uh, her, the reaction from that experience um, in text messages is one of her reactions as well. She does that in the kitchen and drops the glass. Um, so they're, they're things that based on what I felt at the time and I've just rejigged the situations to make it fit that particular story as well. Um, I did get a wonderful review. There's a fabulous review on Collision, and this was actually where it, it hit me that what I was doing um, it said, thank you for so aptly. And I had no idea. And I went back through and I thought, holy, oh, I, this is actually what I am writing. So it, it became the main focus of the series was the one main character who went through who's an absolute psycho and how he affects each of their lives and how they have to deal with him until the end of the series when it's finally finished. And he's gone. So wow. I draw on that quite a lot. That is amazing. I love that you're able to do that and other people are reaching out to you and, and thanking you for shining a light yeah. on it. Yeah, I had no idea. And when it sort of came up, I thought, no, I've, I've started this. I've got to keep going with it now. This has to be the focus. So it was accidental, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> if it does, if it, if it turns out well, then I'm glad, you know. Absolutely. It's helping people. It's helping a lot of people. So where can people find your books if they're looking for them? Um, um, or my website is www.sophiaaves.com and you can join my newsletter. Beautiful. I've got uh, on Facebook. I have my reader group called Sophia's Sweet Sirens. Um, we did go for, try and go for a name, name change last year, but uh, it didn't work out so well. Uh, they wanted us to stay sirens, so sirens we are. That's that's who we are now. Um, <laughs> I've got a newsletter I put out every week, um, and I put out two to three books a month. Perfect. And I'm going to include all of these links in the description of the podcast. So if anybody goes to the actual actual pages to look at the podcast description, they're going to see all of these links, including the links to your website, to follow your public page on Facebook, 
um, all that good stuff. Um, do you happen to have handy a little passage from one of your books that you would like to read? Okay, let me just... Naturally, I opened this up and I have lost my book. That's not what we're doing. That's, that's, that's not <laughs> where we're meant to be. <laughs> oh, dear. And you're going to have to keep talking for a second because I really have lost my book. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I've I reformatted this book recently. Oh, yeah, so you don't... <laughs> <laughs> well while you're hang on, hang on, you here happen we to have any okay. oh cool okay yeah hang on yep yep that works okay so um there is a lot of trust issues between Mila and Cal um Cal being the cop that screwed up the original arrest with the guy who uh who ends up being the psycho that affects everybody's life over a series of eight books I stretched this out to eight books oh, um goodness <laughs> uh, Miller is the girl who he is starting to wonder if he can trust her or not because he is so obsessed and so out of touch because this has become his obsession in catching this guy that he can't trust anybody and he turns everything into something that he feels as though everybody is a plan Logan and that it's going to be going to be something that ruins him. Swallowing my frustration, I woke the screen at Black's Terminal and was confronted by a picture of Miller as a younger woman, a much younger woman, with white long curls. Memory stirred as I stared at the picture. It was undeniably her, the same green eyes, those soft lips that always seemed to be on the edge of smiling. But the woman, girl, I looked at now wasn't smiling. Her eyes were haunted, wide and so vulnerable. I knew, knew when this photo was taken because Black and I had been getting our asses roasted while she was looking after her statement by the local station. Miller had been there the day Logan had robbed Central five years ago. I'd been so finding Logan that I'd missed I'd kissed her for hell's sake. I stared at the screen, picking out the name behind her photo. Annie Summers. She'd changed her name. That wasn't a surprise. A lot of our witnesses had, moving to new places, never speaking about what happened after that day. Logan hunted most of the witnesses down. As soon as we'd worked that out, a cop had been assigned to each one, a minder. I wondered who Miller's had been, or was now. The nickel said that something wasn't right about this was all back. I put it down to paranoia before, but how had this slipped past me? I drained the cup of coffee on the desk before I realised it wasn't mine. Not that Black would care. He'd know I was good for a fresh one. I puffed my cheeks out, letting my eyes shut. Miller wouldn't appreciate me barging in on memories she had probably worked hard to forget. If I was right, she had been a teller at the bank, had direct contact with Logan. Muscles across my back tensed at the thought of his hands on her, how terrified she must have been, especially after... I scrubbed a hand over my face. Concentrate. Thinking with your lower regions got you into this in the first place. I still couldn't believe I recognised her when I re-rented her car while I sat across from her thinking how beautiful she was. There had been a lot of slowing about in my mind back then, though. My ex's text had put me in a foul mood to start with. Wow. This sounds like a really good book. Which one was this from? Uh, that's from Collision. It's the first book in Blade Light Very nice. So, awesome. Yeah. It's a series as well, so 
it's a that's still one of my favorite books I think because I think you always you always love the last one you wrote the most but you have a soft spot for the first one that you ever wrote and probably the first book in each series as well because that's where you start getting those ideas and turning them into something creative and beautiful or working through some so I I think we definitely put in a lot of ourselves into books even if you know, people often ask, oh, do you use real situations? Do you use real people? Well, no, I don't because, one, I don't want to get sued. But, two, I, <laughs> I've got enough courage in my head without adding more in there and I can't, if, if I'm writing somebody else who was real, I'm not in their head. I can't actually be them, whereas those characters that you create that are, come from you, you're inside them so you can see how they react and how they think. But taking the situation or a or inspiration from a situation or how you felt during something, how you would feel if something happened, those are the things that we end up putting into the books. And I guess the PTSD was a huge part of that for me. Yeah, absolutely. It lingers. I find myself doing that with every piece of fiction that I write to. Yep. So with you absolutely. being a USA Today bestselling author, what advice do you have for other authors out there? They say write what you know, which I suppose with PTSD and the accident, but it's also writing what you don't know because you can't be in everybody's head at once, but you can see how they would react, how somebody that you've created can react from that point of view that you can sort of delve deeper into who they are and just whatever comes out, just start writing it. If you want to plot it, great, plot it, but don't, be tied to that plot. If, if those characters do something out of character, out of out of your character, then go with it because they're probably telling you what they want to hear the most. Start writing, leave notes down the side. Sure, do a spell check if you want to, but keep writing all the way to the end. Have a million... Go back and fix those notes up. If you stay on that same chapter and trying to make that first chapter perfect, you will never get any further. You'll be stuck there forever. And the worst part of that is, is when you've book and edit it there's a good chance that a lot of that first chapter is going to be cut so just start writing don't get precious on it just go through the motions and get the book finished absolutely I love that that is really solid very good advice Uh, so there's always one last question that I ask people before I let them go Um, and it's not so much about your writing or your past or anything like that it's about how you see yourself so what is the one thing well, at least one thing that you love about yourself that is not based on your physical appearance. I love my brain. I I, I would really not, I don't care too much about what I look like, um, which sounds horrible, but I spent probably too many years being a vain teenager and I hated that. <laughs> and I'm not myself, but I don't want anything screwing with my brain. I love my brain. It is wacky. It's weird. It's noisy. It's, it's completely off kilter and, that you know that friend in the they're just weird and they just don't quite gel with anything I am that person um but I love my brain and I wouldn't trade it for the world it, it creates books it creates stories <laughs> like I just I, I'm not going anywhere with it it's staying with me I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that for anything that's amazing I love your brain too you're a pretty awesome hey. human <laughs> And also my brain is now officially called Brian because every time I write brain, auto to returns it to Brian. So we've now named my brain Brian. <laughs> oh, perfect. 
Well, Brian, Sophia, um, who, whoever it is I'm talking to at the moment, um, <laughs> thank you for spending this time with me today. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, reading some more of your books. I don't know if I've told you this or not, but I've read one or two already. Um, <laughs> and I will definitely be picking up more. Thank you. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank it's actually been quite cathartic talking as well. It's like I said, I haven't talked about that. I've hinted around the edges with friends that I meet, but I don't actually talk it through. So that's actually been quite therapeutic, to be perfectly honest. Thank you. Of course, of course. I, you know, that's I find the same thing. I'm actually a public speaker mm -hmm. on my experiences because of that exact same thing. It does so yeah. much. Every single time I remember it, I let more of it go. That is absolutely spot on. Yeah, totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> Sophia have a <laughs> wonderful day out there I know you're just getting started with your day you're all the way out there in Australia mm -hmm. um, have a yes. wonderful afternoon a wonderful morning um, and uh, next time you have a book coming out give me a, give me a shout and I'll, uh, I'll plug it and see if we can get you a little bit more um, I, don't, I don't have as much pull as you do but I'll do what I can <laughs> quite well honestly thank you thank you very much <laughs> thank you <laughs> Bye. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, make sure that you head on over and check out the episode description. You will find links on how you can both support this podcast and how you can actually follow this author on social media, check out their website, find their books, find their blogs, whatever it is that they provide me with is what I provide in the episode description. So check it out. Go support our people. <laughs>